this woman that had an anxiety or a worry issue about burglars breaking into her house during the night. So she had all of these weapons that she had purchased. She had taken special training courses, and she had several um, different colors of belts and karate, and uh, she even um, really went as far as to learn how to um, uh, assassinate somebody within just a few seconds. And so one night they were asleep, and she really was afraid of burglars. And um, one night her husband heard a noise downstairs in the house. So he went downstairs to investigate, and when he got downstairs, he, what did he find? He found a burglar. And he met the burglar with the merchandise in his hand, and he said, good evening, sir. And he said, good evening, and he said, uh, I'm the man of the house, and I'm pleased to meet you. Burglar was a little taken back, and he said, uh, come upstairs and meet my wife. She's been waiting 10 years to meet you. <laughs> this woman was suffering anxiety, and that's what I want to talk a little bit about today is anxiety, and what do we do with anxiety? And this has really been something that has been in my mind, just mulling over, thinking about this subject, and uh, let's read Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. No, he wasn't the son of a nun, but he was son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, and be thinking about Joshua, who is now becoming the leader of a nation of over two million people that has been tasked to go into the promised land and the pressure now that he has and the opportunity that he has now for this new circumstance in his life to become anxious and worrisome. He said, Now therefore arise, Joshua, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I'm giving to you or to them, the children of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, which is now Turkey, and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So now what he's saying is, is that I'm going to give you the land from the Mediterranean Sea up into Turkey, down into the Sinai Peninsula, out all the way out into the middle of Persia or Iran today. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Foundational statement there about anxiety. I am with you as I was with, a, I was with Moses. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage for this people. You shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, it, that it may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do accordingly to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be mis dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you here, wherever you go. Joshua 
the model of courage and strength and leadership in the Old Testament, I believe, had a secret problem with fear. And this is why God is saying this so many times to Joshua. Don't be afraid. Be of good courage. Don't fear not. I am with you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. And I will, u- I will use you to take these children into children of Israel into the promised land. In verse 10, Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp, command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves. Isn't that amazing? Joshua heard the promise, he reciprocated it, and then he spoke it. I want to talk about this this morning uh, a little bit, and there's going to be a lot of content here, so what I'm going to actually do for us this morning is I'm going to put um, some of my notes on the uh, screen up here. Hold on. So that you can just follow along with me. And um, if I go too quick, you can actually write some of these things down. Okay, can you see that? Okay. So basically, I want to just define anxiety. All right, anxiety. How many people have never had any problem with anxiety? (laughs) Wow, so this is pertinent for everybody, right? If you have totally overcome anxiety and you have no trouble with anxiety... Feel free to leave. Uh, don't leave. Maybe you can learn something that you're, you really do have problems. Anxiety is really defined as an undefined abstract fear that is caused by suppressing unresolved matters, taking unresolved things in our lives and just suppressing it. And these unresolved issues remain unresolved in the subconscious, that part of our mind that's underwater. You know, there's parts of your mind. This is not going to be a psychology message, but I do want to make a few points about the mind, that there's a part of our mind that is unseen and unknown. It's called the, there's two parts of that, sub and unconscious. It's like, how many of you have ever put your hand into a river and you can see your hand a little bit under the water? It's a little deformed and kind of like, you know, you can't see it really clearly. That's kind of like our subconscious. You can kind of look into it, but not really clearly see things. But if you keep pushing your hand down and you feel the dirt down there at the bottom of the little river, and you put your hand in the dirt and everything gets murky and unseen, that's the unconscious. That's the part of us that we do not know and we cannot know consciously. And this is what happens. People have unresolved things in their lives, and they suppress it because they don't know how to deal with it. There are things that we don't know how to deal with in our lives, right? Right? Yes? Maybe? There are things in my life and all of our lives that we as human beings have no way to... How do we get our hands around that? How do we process that? How do we categorize it? How do we deal with this? And so what we choose to do many times is just suppress it and ignore it. Because we don't want to go to what God's viewpoint is about the matter. Whenever we take things and we don't have God's viewpoint, we're going, to separate, we're going to suppress it, we're going to push it down, we're going to keep pushing it down. It's like that closet in our house or our room in our house that we just put everything that's unresolved, undefined. We don't know, what do we do with that strange lamp? It just goes in that room there. Close the door. Right? How many of you have a room like that in your house? How many of you, have, your whole house is like that? <laughs> Except for the bathroom, right? So, 
we have a purpose in our life that goes beyond being an animal. All right, today's today's society is very animalistic, right? It just it just it just advertising and foods and fashions and trends and even some forms of education really capitalize on animalistic impulses. God has put his spirit in us and this spirit really is an eternal purpose. And this is what I like this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. It says this in the second part of the verse and this is in the amplified version. Just listen to how beautiful this verse is. God or he has planted eternity in every man's heart. That means you. God has put in you a sense of eternity. A divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages or through time, which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. Is that it? That's, that's amazing, isn't it? God has put something in every single person which is eternal. And it's an eternal purpose. That's why today we turn on the radio and we can hear love songs about, I will love you forever. Where did man ever get that sense of eternity when he himself dies after 70, 80, 90, 100 years? Because God has put in our heart a sense of eternity. We all know in the deepest part of us that we're going to live, that we are eternal people. And God has put inside of us an eternal purpose. And when that eternal purpose has been placed in us, it creates sometimes a certain sense of like, where am I going? What is my destiny? What is my purpose? So the second point is, is that we are created for purpose. And this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And if you don't get all these notes, it's going to go on my blog uh, Monday, so don't worry about it. Created for purpose, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For God's good plan, we are created. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us that we are a good creation. God has created us for his good plans. You know, God's plan for us in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, God's thoughts towards you today are not evil thoughts. Sometimes we, you know, I remember being with somebody and we I parked my car, went into, he and I went into the store, came out, and I had a traffic ticket of my car and he looked up and he said, someone doesn't love us. And I said, what do you mean by, and you know, we discussed that. And I, circumstances that happen to us in an evil world cannot determine and cannot tell us properly God's thoughts towards us. Don't ever um, digest God's thoughts towards you as evil because bad things happen to you. We live in an evil world where people do what they do because of free volition, unfortunately. But doesn't, that doesn't mean that God is evil. We are created for a purpose. You know, when we live in too much entertainment and too much pleasure, this really steals our purpose, and it kind of intoxicates us and really stupefies us. And I, I want to get into that a little bit later. The, the world system, the godless system that we live in, the educational system, the financial system, the political system, all the different systems that we live in, in the Greek language, in the Bible, is called cosmos. It's not cosmos like the universe that we would think of today, but the Greek mind, the, the writers 
of the Bible had a word that they used, cosmos, which was just a system of the way things were done in the world that we live in. And this system really is not inspired by God, and it's a system that's really inspired by the God of this world, which is the devil. And the purpose of this system is to steal and nullify God's eternal purpose in your life, your life. I'm talking to you today. The world is not going to encourage you to be a missionary. (laughs) The world system is not going to encourage you to go forgive somebody. The world's not going to go and encourage you to give sacrificially to somebody that you don't like or that doesn't like you. The system is against God's eternal purpose. Sometimes people say, well, there's the Illuminati, the Masons, uh, or even an alien shadow government. How many have heard of that? Conspiracy theorists. That there are aliens living among us with green blood that are actually looking like human beings, and they're running the world. I mean, how many have ever heard of that? I mean, I've actually heard people say that to me. That's not, you know... Just show me one of those people and I'll believe you. They don't don't exist. But the Bible does tell us in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 that there are spiritual wickedness in high places that are demons, that are people that are under the influence of just the devil that do things to negate the eternal purpose of God in people's lives. Let's just get to this subject at hand here, which is unresolved anxiety, Okay. Sometimes people will say to us, and this is all relating to Joshua and his life as he now is taking on the amazing calling to take two million people into the promised land. And God said, go across the Jordan, which is, they need a miracle by the, they need a miracle anyway to get across the Jordan, because it's huge and there's no way to cross it humanly. Sometimes people will say, we'll hear people say, well, it is what it is. How many have ever heard people say that? How many have ever said that? I've said it. Well, it is what it is. What are you going to do? You know? But it just hit me recently that that is such a defeatist attitude. Let me explain. Because when I say it is what it is, that means that there's an unresolved problem or a situation that I just don't even have, either have the strength or the wisdom to deal with. Right? We just say, okay, well, it is what it is. I talked with somebody about their family situation yesterday. And they just said to me, what is what it is? And I just drove home thinking about that. It is what it is. Is it really? Is it really what it is? Or is, can it be different? And it just means that it's unresolved. It means that there's no solution that has been presented or that has been um, a viable idea that's going to be able to resolve this. Three major unresolved things that can happen in people's lives. And, and I, I hope that this message is... Um, pertinent to us today. Three major things that people wrestle with in their life and it's unresolved and they wake up in the morning and they feel that it's unresolved. And unresolved things, if, we, if you remember what we said earlier, cause anxiety. Number one, sin. Sin. What is sin? It's just the imperfections, the failing of God's, perfect, of God's standard of perfection. It's missing the mark of Walking by faith. You know, George Mueller said that faith, uh, anxiety is the end of faith, but faith is the end of anxiety. When we live in faith, anxiety ends. George Mueller said that. He was just an amazing man of prayer. Sin can be something in a person's life, and we don't need to, we all know what it is. We all know that 
it's a part of our fallen nature that we are sinners. Sin can be something in a person's life that is just unresolved, whether it's ongoing or it's over. Sometimes people have unresolved things about sin that's happened in their past. You know, I had someone call me the other day, and, and they're, they're an elderly person, and, and um, they said to me, you know, I, I just worry about this thing that I did when I was in my 20s. I really, I, can, I can't forgive myself, and, and I can't, I can't, you know, I, I can't get over it. I can't resolve it. And this is something that was an unresolved thing that happened in their past that they couldn't resolve and they couldn't reconcile. What is God's resolution for sin today? It's crucified. God crucified our sin. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Praise. I'm not going to tell you to praise the Lord, but that's just, that's, I'm so excited about that. God has crucified our sin, past, present, and future. It's been forgiven, and it's been separated from us. Galatians 2, verse 20. We are no longer our sin. The criminal justice system would tell you something different. But in God's eyes, we are not our sin. Number two, unresolved conflicts with people cause anxiety. You know, we, all of us have relationships in our life that just remain unresolved. It's just in a, it's in a frozen state of conflict. could maybe explain it. It's just something like, well, I don't know what to do with that. It's, it is what it is. But how does God look at that? How do we deal with that? Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, preferring one another in love. Just get it settled in your mind that maybe that person has an unresolved attitude towards you, but your attitude towards him or her can be that, you know what? God has forgiven that person. God loves that person. And I'm going to choose to, by faith, trust God for that person. And that's number three, relationships, unresolved relationships with people. You know, we can't change people. I mean, maybe we can. Maybe we can modify their behavior, but we can't change their heart. You know, you live with somebody for 50 or 60 years, and, you know, you can modify their behavior the way they do things, but maybe their heart doesn't change. But there's only one person in the universe that can change somebody's heart, and who is that? That's really God, isn't it? And there's a Bible verse, Proverbs 21, verse 1, that says that God can turn the heart of the king. If God can turn the heart of a king, then could he not turn the heart of someone that you're trusting God for? We just got to trust God for people. We can't change them. We can't influence other people to change them. We are just, when we have an unresolved perspective on problematic relationships or with ourselves, we're going to try to change that person by, not maybe not directly like, oh, it's not, right for me to try to change that person but unconsciously we're going to try to influence other people to you know get around and change them right how many understand what i'm saying sometimes we try to do that but we have to trust god for people um i just want to mention a couple things here that there's a process of anxiety and how it begins in a person's life and and now i want to get just drill down into some practical things that the process of, of anxiety begins with, number one, just rejecting God's plan and God's purpose for our life. There's a moment where we just say, no, God. We see that in, jo- in, the, in the life of Jonah. We see this in Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 4. Jonah heard from God. 
to be a missionary and to preach the gospel to a very corrupt, bad group of people called the Ninevites. These people would, would sacrifice their babies. They just did a lot of unbelievable, terrible stuff. And Jonah thought, I'm not going to go there. These people deserve the judgment of God. I am not going to go there and preach to them. And when he rejected God's purpose and God's plan, then he entered into a state of, of, of anxiety. And we can read it here. Number one, when we, reject God's, when we reject God's purpose and plan for our life, we're just rejecting correction. Do you ever meet somebody who just rejects correction? They, you know, you just say, and just we could all point to ourselves with that, right? We could reject, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I don't agree with that. what that person says. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's just self, being self-absorbed. When we reject correction, uh, we are in trouble. The book of Proverbs is all about not rejecting correction from God and from the Word of God. Don't reject correction because when we reject correction, then we're going to start suppressing guilt. We're going to be, start suppressing things. And this guilt leads to anxiety. Now, this is the important point. What is anxiety? It's this abstract, did I read the definition already to anxiety? Did I read it? It's this abstract feeling that we can't really pinpoint it, but I just feel nervous and I feel uncomfortable and I, I'm, I'm not relaxed. And what it is, is, is that when we start stuffing things, you ever stuff stuff into the back of your refrigerator and just forget it, forget it, forget it? <laughs> And you can start smelling. You open the refrigerator one day and it's like, wow, what is that aroma? <laughs> it's like, that's what anxiety is. It's just aroma from deep in our soul where we're just stuffing things. And we're not dealing with it from God's viewpoint. And what that is, is that, is that it's just, it becomes so hidden and so submerged in the murky water of our subconscious and unconscious that it starts to rot and it begins to like stink. And I can smell it and other people can smell it. And it's like, wow, this has got to be dealt with. Anxiety is when I feel that I can't put my finger on it, but I'm just not peaceful and I'm anxious. And maybe I'm anxious about a circumstance or a situation. We all face it. Don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm picking on you. And this is what leads to, if we don't deal with it, a big word. Ready? This is my new word here. Uh, psychomotor agitation. If you can spell that, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Psychomotor. It sounds like a crazy car, doesn't it? Or a crazy motorcycle, a psychomotor agitation. What does that mean? It's well, <clears throat> smart people say that it is when we do meaningless motions with our body, when we do things that have no meaning to it, purposeless motions like pacing back and forth, which we've all done in our kitchen or in our bedroom, pacing back and forth, and and. Uh, you know, other things that just have no, pur- like, um, no purpose in their, in the motion, like um, biting nails or ripping your hair out or doing other things like that, which are not really fun. So resulting symptoms are like nervousness. I don't have to read this because we all know what this is. Nervousness, restlessness, no peace. Next, uh, next up, panic attacks. We hear a lot about people having panic attacks, don't we? Did we ever hear about that in the past? Did people like 100 years ago have panic attacks? I think they did. Panic attacks happen when something inside of us, that inner man, that inner person, fears for his existence. Rick, what do you, let me explain. What this means is, is that I am afraid, and I don't know why, but I'm afraid 
that my existence is going to end, that I'm going to die, or what's going to happen to me. Children can have this when, when they don't feel that they're in a secure environment of love. This can happen in any family, and this can happen really because of a number of different things, but panic attacks can happen. And the answer for panic attacks <clears throat> is not more medication, uh, more being sedated more, although that can only handle maybe some uh, temporary surface issues, but it's, what's happening is that something inside is, feels like it's dying and it's realizing that it's dying. I'm dying. And that's my inner, that's my inner man, this eternal purpose that I feel that I'm not engaged in my eternal purpose and I'm starting to die. You know, elderly people can feel this way a lot of times. I read a lot of studies about this, that, that elderly people, they, they, they lose their, their, their ability to move around and they're just in bed all the time because they feel that they have no purpose. They have no purpose. And they don't even... And they have no purpose to get out of bed. And they're, you know what? I'm just going to die. I, I, what am I living? I'm, I'm no longer young. You know, you ever hear that? I'm no longer young. I'm not a young man. Well, what is young, by the way? I don't know. Young is anything, in my book, that's anything, young is anything that's not as old as God. You know? <laughs> Psalm 39 says, I, what is my age before you, O God? So let's just put that whole thing about being old out of the picture. There's no old people. The only, the, the only old person is a person who lives in worry and fear in their soul because it just wrinkles their, their soul. Panic, ta- panic attacks. People feel like they're dying, and this leads to depression, and this happens to a lot of mi- middle-aged people. That's why, you know what happens when a, when a married couple loses their eternal purpose? That's when affairs begin. That's when si- things have start happening on the side or trouble happen. We always got to keep our eternal purpose right in front of us as a married couple, as a family, as a single person. Next step is aggression. We can see that on 611 and 476 all the time. You ever want to see some people that are struggling with psychomotor agitation, just go to 476. You know, man, you ever, how many have ever been on 611? I was warned, but we moved to Doylestown. And 611 is just a little road, you know? But it's not. It's psychomotor people that are agitated next number five mental disorders physical and eating disorders and then addictions addictions you know our eternal purpose never changed now now for the good news okay and then i want to close for the good news and i don't usually spend this much time on problems but usually the message should be 10 to 20 percent on or five percent on defining the problem 95 percent on the solution Eternal purpose never changes. You know, dreams that we have that God gives us and our endeavors may change, and maybe even because of tragedy, but his purpose is always the same. God's purpose in your life is always the same. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul defines his great purpose in his life, to know God and the power of his resurrection. That's my purpose today. That's our eternal purpose today, is that we want to know God, because when we know Jesus Christ, Peace comes into our life. When we know God, does something changes. We understand that it's not me trying to run my own life. Joshua had peace come into his life because he realized that God's promise was with him, that God was going to bring the two million people of the children of Israel, this new nation, into their new land. Peace comes in when we know him. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, it says this. It says that when we... 
when we take his yoke upon us, peace comes into our life. Isn't that amazing? We've got to stop trying to live our own life our own way and just trust God. Because when we trust the Lord, then peace comes in. The second thing is, is count everything else as dung or trash. This is, what, this is what Paul said. I count all as just refuse in comparison to Jesus Christ. Everything else is just waste in comparison to God. And then number three, our great purpose is to win Christ. If that's your purpose, and if that's our purpose in every situation, then we're going to be winners every time. You ever come out of a circumstance that seems to be unresolved and you feel like you're the loser? That you feel like, I lost in this, I lost in this circumstance. Well, we're not really losers when we win Christ. And we can talk about that later, but winning Christ means that in every circumstance, I'm going to have the mind of Christ about that. And if I don't have it, I'm going to go get on my knees and just hear from God and not get up until I hear from God. Because if we live with unresolved, if we live with, in unresolved circumstances and not apply the wisdom of the Bible, then what's going to happen is we're going to walk around with just growing levels of anxiety. How many of us have ever met older people that are very nasty people? Maybe, I don't know. That happens, and maybe I sometimes look at myself, I'm like, wow, that was pretty nasty. Why is that? It's because, because the longer we live, the possibility of growing, accumulated, unresolved things that we don't bring to the mind of Christ. Let me just close with this. How do we function in our purpose? Get a personal rhema from God about your purpose. Now, what is rhema? What does that mean, R-H-E-M-A? It's a Greek word that is used in the Bible, translated into our English word, word, W-O-R-D. There's two Greek words for the word word in the Bible. Matthew 4.4, 4, it says, Man shall not live by what alone? Bread alone, but by what? Every word. Do you know what the Greek translation for word is there? Rhema. What does rhema mean? It means a personal revelation from God about the Bible and how it applies to your circumstance. Isn't that amazing? How many of you have ever gotten an aha moment with God? Like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, you read, the, like Pastor Tony just read this verse in, in, in Jeremiah 24, if you stay in the land, I will build you. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's a rhema for me. If I stay in the area and I don't leave, then God's going to build me. <laughs> I'm not thinking about leaving, by the way. <laughs> and, and during the worship, when Eddie read that verse, when he quoted that verse in Psalm 21, <laughs> I thought, wow, that's a rhema for me. God is with us and he's around us. That's a rhema. When we live by rhema, this is when I read the Bible, I'm looking for rhemas. Like where, you know, I'm reading, 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 and then finally a verse hits me. Wow, that's a rhema. That applies to my situation. And when you share that verse to somebody else, it's very powerful because it's a rhema. The Bible says man shall not live by physical sustenance alone, but by every rhema of God that proceeds from his mouth. I'm going to finish up with this. If you want to not get discouraged in your marriage, not get discouraged in your job, not get discouraged in your ministry, not get discouraged in what you're doing, then you've got, you and I have got to get a rhema from God about what we're doing. I remember, I'll just tell this story really quick. I was traveling with a group of people from different, different countries in Europe, and we had, uh, we had gone through... I was with a group. I wasn't leading. I was just going with the group, following the group. And we, got, we landed in Turkey, in Istanbul, Turkey. And 
I was just kind of like, we've all done it. We've just kind of like fallen along what we're doing. And then get to, I get to the passport control, and I can't find my passport. And I never lose my passport. It's not something that's never happened to me before. And I'm not knocking on wood either because it's plastic up here. <laughs> and I'm, where's my passport? And so I go through my bag, can't find it. Go through my pockets, can't find it. Go through my bag again. This goes on for a half hour. And the group I'm with are like, you know, Chris, we got to go. We can't, you know, we got to get going. We got a meeting to go. And I said, okay, guys, just go. And the authorities there are saying, we gotta, we're going to have to put you back on the plane and send you home because you don't have a passport. I'm thinking, wow, I just spent this money. I'm supposed to get this trip ahead of this. And I was really perplexed. And so I went into the men's room, and I just prayed. I said, God, what's going on here? You know, what's happening? And I remember God speaking to me, and he said, he said, are you persuaded about going on this trip, coming here to Turkey? And I thought, am I persuaded? Do I have my plan, and I'm here? No, but do you have an inner rhema about the purpose of your trip here? Maybe you don't know all the details about it, but do you have a personal conviction about what you're doing here? Do you have a rhema from God about it? And I was like, no. <laughs> I'm just following the group. And so I just, I, I went in with God. I said, okay, God, just, I began to pray. And I said, Lord, you know, if it's your will for me to be here, give, give me a rhema about this. And then God spoke to me. And I just had a conviction about being here, that this is God's will. And, and I really had a conviction in my heart. I stepped out of the men's bathroom. And guess what happened? There's a woman from the airlines was standing there with, my, with her passport in my hand. She goes, sir, we found your passport. I go, where was it? She goes, it was between the seats, some down, somewhere down deep inside, and it's a miracle that we even found it. I thought, that's a lesson for me, that whatever I do, for me to live in a purpose, I need to understand that this is God's will, and this is a rhema. Getting a rhema about what we're doing, because when times get tough, that's going to keep you. You ever ask yourself, why am I doing this again? <laughs> who signed me up for this what what and if we have a rhema about it then it's going to keep us during the, the tough times number two understanding our per, eternal per, purpose produces concentration sometimes people have no concentration in their life about what they're doing because they have no sense of the purpose when we live with eternal purpose we're going to have concentration on what we're going to do we will have discipline about it we'll have direction and no matter what happens, snow, sleet, snow, or storm, if the mailman can be out there. I saw the mailman out there delivering mail the other day in, in snow. I thought, well, if he's doing that, you know, how much more can I be about the Lord's business? Without singleness of purpose, we suffer distractions and wandering in our minds. And I'm going to close with these five points. Whenever we don't center ourselves with God's eternal purpose, align ourselves with God's eternal purpose, we all know it, don't we? We're just going to start wandering around. You know, we're going to be like over there in the strawberry patch. We're going to be over there shopping for thousands of things that we don't need. We start getting, we start wandering in our minds without being oriented to the eternal purpose of God. You know, we're a little church here. I don't like to say little, but, you know, we are less than 5,000 people, so we're small. And I think about our purpose here, and I think about what God's mission is here, and I've only been here for about a year and a half or something like that, pastoring here. And it's just amazing to see what God is doing. You know, we want to have, uh, in the back, I just got this idea, and it's just an idea for now, but I'd like to maybe see this happen by the springtime. Wouldn't it be great if we just took the back of our chapel and made like a, um, a really cool cafe? where we served very good coffee, made some changes, and 
adjust the ambience of the place back there. My wife says, you've got to have ambiance. I said, if I could just say that word, that would be great. <laughs> and we could close those accordion things there and open it to the public and just have, like, great coffee and, and free Wi-Fi here and have something here where the community can come in and, and have some awesome pastries by some of our awesome bakers here. Why not do that? When we think of God, when we get a revelation of who God is, and we're like, wow, let's just think we can start dreaming with God. How do we understand our eternal purpose? And I'm just going to finish with this. Surrender to God. Just surrender to God and all your stuff, all of, your, all of, our, our, all of our issues and all of like our, our, our you know, chips on our shoulder and all the things that people have ever done to us. Just take that and bring it to the cross and say, you know what? Jesus, this is nothing compared to what you suffered. I'm just bringing it all to you. I'm just going to surrender it there. You know, I'm, just, I'm not going to walk around and say, well, you know what this person did to me? And that's why I'm an angry person 20 years later. Well, let's get over it with God. It's like the, what is done is done. And don't let the past affect your presence. Daily yield yourself to a personal cross. Yield yourself to God, number two. Number three, get quickened every day. You know, some, there are some folks in our church that come in here to the church and pray during the week. And there's nobody here. They just come in and stand and pray. That's what, we're, that's what the church is here. Come on, if you need a place to escape and to pray and to be quiet, just come and sit down in the chairs and pray and just listen to God. I mean, church is over, but God doesn't leave this place. Just get quickened. And number three, uh, number four, get, get participating in what the body of Christ is doing. What is God doing with his people locally in your local area? Well, get, let's get involved with that and participate. Because, you know, we are not complete without your portion, okay? We're not complete. And, 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 and just move on to your prayer. Having a life of prayer, just learning how to go to God in your prayer closet in Acts chapter 9, verse 11. Last statement here is, is this, is that anxiety is when we, we suffer anxiety when we take our eyes off the loving care of, of our Creator, that God is in control of things, Amen. and that God is for us. Romans eight verse, Romans eight verses one and verse thirty two. If God is for us, who can be against us? I just want to say that God is for you in your life. God is for you in your marriage. God is for you in your fatherhood, your motherhood. God is for you, and we can learn how to resolve things by getting God's mind, and just and that's why church is so important. Because we come here and we just get God's mind. We hear from God. We hear from what God is saying. We walk away with a rhema and we say, that was for me. That was my rhema today. My daily rhema. Amen? And so I want to finish here because I could just keep going. But let's not live in anxiety because anxiety is just stuff that we've suppressed for so many years without allowing God to resolve it. And you know what? Here's the thing. When you get saved, I remember when my dad got saved, we were like, life was good until my dad got saved. When my dad got saved, everything just went upside down. Everything went bad in the finances. And, I, and I, we didn't understand what was going on. But what was happening was is that God was reaching into our family and dealing with things that were buried for so long in our souls. And then after that happens, we, we, get, we began to understand God's loving care for us and that we could trust him for things. And when God begins to deal with things in our souls very deeply, don't condemn yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Just understand that God loves us and God is for us and that his thoughts towards us are not evil, but they are of good so that we could have an expected end. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's close our eyes and have a prayer.